All right, welcome back to Time to Be Frank podcast. Uh, today is an awesome episode. We have uh, Amir Melka on. Am I saying that right? Yeah, thanks for pronouncing it right. Fuck yeah. yeah. Uh, Amir's a good friend of mine. I've known him for like six or seven years at this point. Um, he's on the Blacklist podcast, which you can find on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, and he's he's just a, a fun guy to talk with, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be talking about how the view that we have of death, or what we believe about death, impacts the way that we live our lives. And so that's kind of going to be the main topic today. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and uh, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. All right, so just to kind of dive into it, uh, I don't think we're going to avoid worldview much, but um, what are some general ways that you see people like viewing death in their lives or the way that they um, allow it to shape it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I, so there are some interesting things, right? It's like, it's um, what you think, I think even about life itself really informs what how your view on death, right? Because it's That's like, a good... A flip side yeah. yeah no it's true it's like if if you if you find like beauty in the world in your life in living then and and obviously that is going to translate into how you view other people and so when they die that just makes mourning that much more mournful right yeah because you know there's something to mourn here because that life is good right um however you know, maybe some people don't always have that perspective that life itself is good. Maybe it's about quality, you know? I mean, we, we often think, yeah, Hitler died, and that's a good thing. Um, because, <laughs> you know, it's life isn't just sacred because a nigga exists. It's just like, he's pretty bad, he causes pain, he's gone. We're good. We're Gucci. Like, but... I don't know Mother Teresa or something. I know she's controversial, but she, she is. She's we're gonna we're gonna use her for the the we're gonna use the stereotypical view of her. She's a saint or whatever. Um, that uh, that life is very valuable because she did valuable things. She did things that contribute. But then ultimately we come back to well, what are you contributing to? And and so yeah, I think generally, what do you value about life? Is it just life? Does it matter about the quality, the kind of people? Ooh, that's a good point. Um, is the you know purpose? Is that a thing as well? Like, what is the purpose of that life? Um, you know, I think that's that's one thing. Some people just think of it as another stage. You know, some people don't live in fear of it at all. They're just like, I don't know. It's very interesting. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. I think, kind of along the lines of what you said, it's, uh, it's interesting to think about. Like, there's a lot of people who just kind of ignore mm-hmm. death. Like, mm-hmm. the, like we all are, in, in some sense, aware of our mortality, that we're mm-hmm. going to die. Um, but there's there's a lot of people who just spend their lives trying to ignore it or numb themselves mm-hmm. to that impending uh, mortality that, that they know is going to happen. And I think that's where, like, worldview... Their worldview is, like the absence of one in some regard. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting just to think about how different views of life just really, or different views of death really shapes the life of people. Because like, there's the idea of reincarnation Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, we're just going to keep on living in different forms. 
until until we achieve some sense of enlightenment mm-hmm. or maybe like forever. Mm-hmm. And so if you live like that way, it's like, well, maybe you're trying to evolve mm-hmm. in terms of enlightenment to achieve a better form at some point. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's kind of an interesting, it, what do you, the, the divide on Eastern and Western thought here is, is kind of interesting where it's like, Eastern thought tends to go towards places like Nirvana mm-hmm. uh, and Buddhism where mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, the loss of desire. Mm-hmm. We're, we're achieving enlightenment to the mm-hmm. point where we become one with nothing. Mm-hmm. How does that differ from the idea that we just don't exist at a certain point? Like, how does becoming one <clears throat> with nothing differ from becoming like total annihilation of self yeah total annihilate like we just cease to mm-hmm. exist at the end i see so it's hard right because buddhism is it's divided amongst itself like not all buddhists believe in nirvana or they have differing views on it right because like nirvana like the ceasing of individualism is some buddhists are materialists they think that it's just matter you know um that's all we are and when it's you know it's death is for the for a lot of buddhist death is just the it's the cessation of sensation you know well well said (laughs) i I mean it's just like so i mean so that's buddhism is weird in that regard how is it different from total annihilation i don't know if i'm too well read on it but i mean me neither so you do get like some some buddhism is a lot you have to remember it's very closely related to hinduism right um in a lot of ways and in hinduism we're all just in the dream of brahma you know um and when and we all are really just a piece of brahma and when we die our soul rejoins brahma so we are incarnated in certain forms and then we go back to the whole so i guess you could maybe say that there's some similarity there with nirvana and just slipping back into the nothingness you came from the void you know well the interesting thing with what you just said like living in the dream of brahma Mm -hmm. how is that any different from that uh like kind of the matrix idea of like we're living in a simulation i wonder how how they see the difference there but i mean i could see a lot of similarities because it's like we're we're not living in the real world we're living in the dream of the man living or the God living in the real world. Yeah. In the same sense of like, we're not living in the real world. We're living in the simulation that the people who run the real world have created. I mean, it's interesting. I don't think Brahma's dream has the same rules as human dreams. Yeah. But because, you know, human dreams are just, they're not real. They are just, but you know, perhaps this deity's dream actually is reality. Huh. But also, Eastern thought is super abstract and right. super complicated, and and so it's like it's hard to know. But yeah, I mean, are we in a simulation? Fuck, I, you know, I don't know. I I get I get really solipsistic sometimes. What's that mean again? That's like when I fucking oh, Jesus. Like sometimes I doubt that everyone around me is actually real. That they're you're all just figments of my imagination, and this I'm just a brain in a vat, and this just this is just molecules bouncing around that causes sensation and shit. I have no actual reason to believe that my sense of touch or smell is like reliable. So sometimes I just get in that vein of thought, and I'm like, yeah. I just need to get the fuck out of that vein of thought because it's it's just terrifying. Kind of like you're living in the Truman Show. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Everybody always brings that up. I've never seen that. Movie, oh, it's a good but movie. Everybody always. Re- 
that. No, yeah, I'm afraid that everybody around me is a lie sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've had that thought before, but at the same time, it's just like people are too weird mm-hmm. for me to believe that at this point. Like like people are too like creative and mm. artistic and and things like that for me to think that. Yeah. Also, like. I don't know. Like you get into, you hear these deep philosophical thoughts about reality, and it's mm-hmm. like these people are really thinking about this shit. <laughs> like no, they're not true. just they're not just fake bullshit mm. that doesn't exist. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's like, uh, and then you exam. I mean, to go back to death, we examine that, and we're like, okay, so what does that mean about my death? Does that mean that none of this actually just matters? I can just do it. I just walk in front of a car. Am I still alive? You know, like in that brain in that vat still. So I mean. I think that would that would definitely undercut my purpose for living. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, so, yeah. it's Eastern thought is, is strange. So you're bringing it up how it's so abstract. I think, for me, what, what becomes, like, I'm very much, like, into the ideas of logic and, mm-hmm. like, rationality. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel like they don't even attempt to cross those bridges to the point where I'm just never tempted to really believe in those those worldviews or those positions because mm-hmm. like I feel like logic and rationality are so important to understanding mm-hmm. real answers. There's like a mystical portion of those thoughts that just makes you that you just can't believe in the mystical portions, is that what it is? Yeah, like I I don't know, like I I think I, I'm more attracted to Buddhism than Hinduism because mm-hmm. Buddhism is, I, I think there's some level of truth to like some of the ideas. Like, mm-hmm. okay, the more that we're given over to our desires mm-hmm. and to our, like the lusts of like sensuality, mm-hmm. the more we uh, are tend to act against like mm-hmm. what I view as morality. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's like a level where it's mm-hmm. like, if we're like the people who are just controlled by desire and lust end up. On, a lot of times on a path of self-destruction mm-hmm. where I think I agree with him in a lot of ways on that. However, like the bigger picture worldview mm-hmm. type stuff of like Nirvana, I don't like fully understand the idea of like ceasing to be an individual mm-hmm. and become one with everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I don't feel attracted to that mm-hmm. idea either, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's not super attractive. It's like, what do you mean lose my individual? Well, they would say that that's, you know, that's the ego, like just continuing to strive for individualism, which ultimately leads to suffering and, and shit like that, because we're trying so hard to be instead of just being what we are. That's well, that's well. <laughs> what do you, okay, so here's another thing that kind of comes up in this conversation is the idea of the soul. Mm-hmm. So like something that gets talked about a lot is, do we have a soul? Like mm-hmm. th- there is the naturalist materialist worldview mm-hmm. where um we are just the chemical you know crashes and and um whatever you call them like mixes of the chemicals that we're made up of the dna the biological mm-hmm. matter that we are and and that there is no spirit or soul mm-hmm. what what to you do, i mean do you think there's a soul and if you think there's a soul what to you is evidence of that okay yeah, do if I think that there is a soul, I do think that there is a soul. Much of my belief in the soul comes from accepting beliefs in other things. I'm a Christian. Okay. 
I've had evidence presented to me for Christianity's reliability. And so, therefore, I'm more willing to accept certain truths that are unclear um, within a certain, within, within a certain, like, uh, I guess, like, with, with certain, to a certain extent, everything should be investigated. But, like, there are some things where it's like, yeah. if, if this can happen, then surely this can happen. You know, then surely this must be true. So, I, I do believe that there is a soul... I, I, I haven't fleshed this thought out, but I, I think it's very much tied to the mind, not the brain, the mind itself. Oh, I agree with that. <laughs> you do? What do you, mean? what do you think? Well, so um, the interesting thing that I've experienced is like I have OCD. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I I read this book called Brain Lock, which is by mm-hmm. this guy, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he was the guy who uh, basically helped leonardo dicaprio get into the mind of howard hughes for the aviator Mm -hmm. because of his research on ocd and howard hughes had ocd Mm -hmm. and a lot of his research is about the idea of it does our mind control us or do we control our mind Mm -hmm. or our physical brain rather Mm -hmm. um and so the the he has a book out that's less about ocd called you are not your brain and the Mm -hmm. idea of it is what he researched with OCD, which was if you did a certain type of therapy and you made certain decisions, you could literally change your brain chemistry Mm -hmm. to the point where your brain wasn't the same because of the choices that you made. Mm -hmm. And that to me is an evidence for a soul um, scientifically, because Mm -hmm. if we choose to what, what we will focus on. And I think, like there's a lot of convoluted thoughts mm-hmm. on the brain, mind, soul kind yeah. of combination mm-hmm. because what we are like, I always think about it. Like we're, we exist like up here, mm-hmm. like you have a physical body, you're moving it, but you're not your arm. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're inside your brain and, and like kind of head area. Mm-hmm. Like that's where you as a person reside. And then you have a physical kind of, um, you know, body that, that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the idea being that like your, your brain, like thoughts that come to it come from, and, and, and this is from a Christian worldview. Um, I think from like spiritual elements of like things can be suggested from God or Satan mm-hmm. or demons. Mm-hmm. Um, things can be suggested from our physical um, chemical like mm-hmm. makeup, yeah. Um, the way that our b- brain chemistry operates, op- uh, like affects the way that we think, mm-hmm. and then we have a, a soul or mind mm-hmm. that chooses direction and mm-hmm. like focus, mm-hmm. and so that's our responsibility is our soul mind, soul mind kind of thing, mm-hmm. where we are choosing what we focus on, but all these other things are being suggested or are, are like part of like what gets suggested in our heads. Mm-hmm. I think also like our flesh too is something that comes into play. So all these things kind of affect the way that we think about different things. Like our mind could get a suggestion from God, could get like we are kind of naturally more depressed because of our brain chemistry. You know, mm-hmm. um, we get a suggestion from like the angel versus demon, like on your shoulder thing where mm-hmm. you, you know, you get like the, the, the sort of consciousness, con- yeah, your conscience, your conscience yeah. as well. Um, and then, you know, which plays with mm-hmm. the flesh as well. Yeah. So I think like all these things are interacting within us mm-hmm. and then we have 
the choice of what we will focus on. But not everything that comes into our brain is something that we, mm-hmm. you know, chose. A lot of it are brief little suggestions. And what we what we have a choice on is to what we focus mm-hmm. rather than every individual thought that comes in and out of our head, you know? Yeah. And so that argument to me, like, kind of gives the idea of the soul. The soul is the kind of the director and the kind of the navigator of what is going on in our heads and and that's kind of where we are we have that that sense of like what do we choose to focus on um so that to me is what it is the other thing that's interesting so i had a music teacher in high school Mm -hmm. who talked about like he was the last person to see his uncle die yeah and so uh, or before he died and then he walked in and discovered his dead body mm-hmm. and he said that he believed that there was a soul or a spirit in the human body because he felt the energy like like had left the room when he saw his uncle who was dead he felt like when he had last seen him alive it was complete like the whole room and the whole like situation was completely different than when he walked in mm-hmm. and he was dead and he could feel that, like on like a, a, you know, a certain level, to the point where he believed that the soul existed or the spirit existed. So to me, those things. Well, what do you make of that that situation? I think that makes sense to me. Like, I think there's you know an animating presence that's mm-hmm. not purely like the the physical aspects of the body, like the creative animated human being. Like to me, is like evidence of. The, the spiritual side of it like I, I think like we'd seem more robotic if we were if we didn't really have that spiritual or creative like element to us you know what I mean I think I do I think that's an interesting thing you bring up it doesn't necessarily strike me it makes sense that that would be the thing and I just don't I'm a bit skeptical because I'm like what what could be going on there's a thousand things this man could just be dealing with stress of losing a loved one and yeah. and he could you know th- there could be something perceived as an emptiness like this person is gone it's the reality set and through sensation or it could just be the power of suggestion you know that's a really powerful thing we you know he, he probably thought oh you know what is that death oh souls oh spirits spiritual shit energy what the fuck you know so it's saying i think i could feel it I, but i'm not sure like I, I just I, didn't, I generally don't believe stories like that, but I I did think it was really interesting that you brought up neuroplasticity and like neurogenesis because I think it is I think you have a really good point about like I think we would be there would be something very unhuman about us. Um, <clears throat> there would be something incredibly unhuman about us, and I think um, what is it? So uh, Aubrey Plaza uh-huh. had a stroke. Huh. at the age of 20 and she talked about how she was essentially in a sort of like a catatonic state where she could not move properly uh, there were some problems and a lot of that had to do with you know f- the frontal lobe and and how it functions it, it handles critical thinking all sorts of things fine motor skills all these things executive function and um she talked about how in her experience People would come to her and say things, and she would understand them, but she was just a person watching through her eyes as if they were windows. Uh-huh. And they would hand her pieces of paper to write things down on, and she would just draw lines. 
So it's interesting that while there's damage to an important part of the brain that handles critical thinking and understanding and all sorts of skills, working memory, she still understands, you know, to a certain extent. And so she still perceives, she still knows, she's there. She just can't interact with you. Uh She just can't tell you that she's there and she's not just like a vegetable, like a pure vegetable where it's just, there's nothing going on. There's something going on up there. But... I think as well, like, there is this, like, interesting idea, like, if you look at animals and things, they don't quite have the same complicated faculties of thought that we... we not only no. can we think about thought, we can think. We can think about thoughts, and we can do that ad nauseum, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's just such a strange self-awareness. We can, we can like, perceive that choices, like like, will affect our brain in that way, where it's like... The more that I decide to make choices that are good for my life, the stronger my prefrontal lobe becomes, and the weaker the portion of my brain that's responsible for giving into desire becomes. If I do the opposite, I only reinforce the part of my brain that has that's responsible for desire and pleasure, mm-hmm. and I weaken the frontal lobe portion yeah. of my brain. So that is a really interesting thing that we can... Th- there's clearly something here, you know? Yeah. There, there's a guy in here look, <laughs> who knows. I don't even think you'd need to understand the brain that much. It's just very no. clear. Habits form habits. Addiction is based on, well, a lot of things, but at its most basic, we see that that desire center is just so reinforced by... That pleasure center is so reinforced by the actions that we decide to do. Yeah. And that deciding against... You know, I'm not saying it's easy to get out of addiction, right? It's not. It's hard. What I am saying is that it's interesting that we can... We know, we've always known that we could... Decisions and the choices we make. And it's like the mind is observing the brain, it feels like, you know? So that's... that's yeah, and, and there's a thing where... We kind of create grooves through routine where things mm-hmm. become supernatural to the point of like we don't even have to think about doing them. Mm-hmm. And then fighting to get out of those grooves mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's part of like the whole addiction, mm-hmm. but it's like also part of like adult life is like mm-hmm. r- you create these routines mm-hmm. and then creating a new routine, like trying to start being a guy who works out mm-hmm. is very difficult. But, like, if you work out every day, you don't even think about it. Yeah. You just do it. Yeah. You know, it, it, I think that is, like, the, kind of the evidence of, like, we have to make active, strong-willed mm-hmm. decisions mm-hmm. to get out of those natural grooves that begin to exist as routine takes over and we don't even have to consciously mm-hmm. think about something. Yeah. The very idea of, like, the, I mean, you said it, strong will. Will is such a weird... That is not like, that is such a will. That's such a strange concept. I don't think that's like an evolutionary thing. You look at animals, they're reacting purely based on instinct, survival. Not all of the choices and things that we make or even think about are based on that. For instance, um, so, you know, animals are relational and that is a survival tactic, but we do far more complex things that have nothing to do with our survival that are relational. Have right? you ever heard the idea that whales are like more like evolved than us or something no. like that? I've heard this idea. Uh, I like can't where? remember. What does that even mean? Where? In the brain? Like they, I guess the, there's an idea that they communicate somehow through language. I don't know. 
It's either dolphins or whales. It's one of those two. I know that they use like, like, vibrations and shit. I don't know. Like it's it's weird. It's like I've never know. fully understood it, but I I mean they're not. They never put on clothes. <laughs> Which I don't think okay. is... Okay. <laughs> they don't put on pants at the board and shit. I don't like Well, I mean, that's one of the things that separates us most obviously from animals, right? Mm-hmm. Is the fact that we put on clothes. Like, we care about fashion. Like, this cheetah print, mm-hmm. like, top that we wear is supposed to be attractive. Mm-hmm. But, like, animals just are naked or their natural selves mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's. I mean, it's kind of strange. What What do you think divides us? What, what What would you describe as what divides us from animals as uh, beings? That's a hard one. I know I just like spent my time talking about the difference between instinct and things like that. But yeah, I actually I'm I'm one of those people who thinks I have never been given a sufficient answer for why animals should not have a soul. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I here's my thing is I think they have some level of that mm-hmm. but it's not the same as what we have so like i mm-hmm. think it's like a half spirit soul type thing like animated mm-hmm. like because they make choices mm-hmm. you see dogs like they they look guilty when you like raise your voice mm-hmm. things like that but and they're they're constantly making decisions that aren't just purely like mm-hmm. one plus one equals two like yeah. they're making somewhat like creative de- choices but it's not on the same level of human beings where they're putting on clothes or talking about morality mm-hmm. talking about like if we could go back in time and kill hitler would we you know shit like that i love that one of your essential <laughs> properties for humans is putting on clothes like it, you just keep well, coming I mean, back it just, it's, it's the most obvious thing it's the most obvious difference i guess it's true I, it's true <laughs> why, i mean why do you think that so this is a topic i was talking about yesterday why 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 do you think that um we decided at one point to put on clothes. What, why, why do I think we decided to put on clothes? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, man. This is actually a hard one. Yeah, I know. Are, are we getting further away from the death conversation? Well, I, I think it, I, I, I think what we're getting into is like the, the soul spirit conversation, mm-hmm. which is related to the death conversation. Because for our, us to exist after uh, the physical world, mm-hmm. the idea would be that we have a spiritual, uh, spiritual self or soul okay, I see. that exists beyond the physical world because mm-hmm. we're all in agreement that the physical mm-hmm. body ceases to exist mm-hmm. or the physical self mm-hmm. ceases to exist at death. Mm-hmm. But the difference between the people who believe that there is an afterlife and people who don't mm-hmm. is that there's also the reality of the soul or the spiritual being. Um, I mean, why do but why do I think that we started wearing clothes? So I yeah. mean, I think there's. I mean, obviously, I'm a Christian. And there's the Adam and Eve story, yep. God fashioning clothes for people, uh, for the sake of like covering, and that's like, I mean, that's obviously not a survival thing, right? No, at all. But so I, I wonder if you know, I don't know. These clothes obviously don't serve the purpose that we use them for a lot of the time. Um, why do we start wearing clothes? It's a hard one. It's a hard one. Do we? Because I think there's also a very good evolutionary reason for why we wear clothes. Obviously, for warmth, when we navigated out of Africa. But or... it's it's not purely for warmth because I could tell you I could go mm-hmm. out in the summer, mm-hmm. and I could strip down to nothing and be more comfortable.
Um, although the Lord never intended for people to be clothed. Well, in in the biblical story, because I'm a Christian too, and we're kind of getting it at like other you know worldview shit, but mm-hmm. like the the idea is that before the fall, mm-hmm. before they ate from the tree of mm-hmm. the knowledge of good and evil, they were naked in the garden, mm-hmm. and then they were ashamed mm-hmm. of their nakedness. Yeah, and that is like one of the things that makes mm-hmm. us different than other animals is that we have this supposedly you know eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we have the knowledge of like moral good and evil mm-hmm. to some degree or what we would call the conscience yeah um but then why does that translate directly into clothes yeah <laughs> it's no, like it's, it's it's true yeah why is the why is it why is that the I'm first naked. thing it's like why do i have a con- conception of nakedness why are my eating this weird shit why are my genitals such a like uh, uh, like every other animal that's ever existed is like comfortable being in its own skin. Yeah. Why do I need to hide those? Yeah. And I think like part of it there too is, is something like, very complicated there. There is something very complicated there, but there's also like the sexuality of it. Like we've sexualized our body, like parts of our bodies mm-hmm. to the point where that's the only function that we view them as. And, and like, it's just kind of, like, the reality is, like, they're just kind of there. Like, they're just part of our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. But why do we need to hide them? Why is why is parts par, are parts of us more vulnerable than other parts? I mean, part of it, mm-hmm. I think, is like, okay, our, you know, dick and balls or whatever mm-hmm. is, uh, like, if you get hit in the balls, mm-hmm. that hurts really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also, like, piss and shit out of these spots in our body so it's like Mm -hmm. maybe we feel ashamed about that as well yeah no it's it is intuitive right it's like is it learned is it not i think there's some other alternatives even as well there's this philosopher guy i forgot his name but he has this really cool analogy it's about a bald man Uh uh-huh you ever heard of it no and he talks about baldness right so you have this guy he's completely bald you strip his head of hair right now place one hair on that man's head is he bald? Oh, that's a mind fuck right there. Uh, I'd say yes. By definition, by technical definition, no. No. But by but... like a, a, deno, a connotative, def- everybody would say yes. That is yeah. still bald. Now you add two hairs, three hairs, four, five, fifty. At what point is he not bald? At what point is he? So there's this weird thing that I'm, the point I'm getting at is that while even a hundred actually but the point that i'm trying to get at is while we don't know the exact nature of it we generally have a agreed upon understanding of what exactly baldness is and what it's not yeah and i think we have that same sort of understanding with what the fuck is wrong with our genitals that we can't show them to people and how or how much of the body can we show because if you look at a fucking like it's so like bathing suits are such a strange concept because yeah. it's literally like you have a piece of cloth that is literally in the shape of a triangle that covers only just the, the vagina yeah. or just the nipple. Yeah, you know, yeah. ju- just this small piece of fabric covers the vagina. Or, and, or and like then we're the, okay with that. Like that's fine. For what's the male uh, swimsuit that like barely covers anything? Oh, a speedo. Speedo, yeah, 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 speedo yeah, that yeah. Just covers the butt the crack. Tie, it just covers the crack. You can see pieces of the ass hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> guy's ball could just slip out at any point. No, so it's like it's weird that yeah. No, we have a very weird conception of nakedness. I, I can see how that contributes to the soul. We we have definitely made choices that separate us so much from animals. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think clothes is just the most obvious difference mm-hmm. between us and animals because it's just that's every human being wears clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you Unless this. Unless nud- you're in a nudist colony, which I yeah. find are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, we're not the only humans to wear clothes. We're just one type of human that's worn clothes. Are you talking about like the uh, Neanderthals? Neanderthals. I'm talking Denisovans. I'm talking about, do you think they have souls? I've been encountering people who don't believe that they have souls, that they are more animal-like. So that's interesting. Although they're in the same genus as us. Yeah. And I, they, yeah. Maybe they're like the three-fourths to our whole soul mm. and the animal's half. Maybe there's like something to that. Where it's... Because like, I mean, you can't think that they're that... They're like Neanderthals were that much different than mm-hmm. us. But like then we've evolved technology and mm-hmm. tools to the degree where, you know intellectually we've advanced mm-hmm. we write books like written language is also a, a, a mm-hmm. evidence of the evolution from there mm-hmm. so there's a lot of like things that point to us it's, evolving past there there as this homo sapien rather mm-hmm. than the neanderthals or the homo erectus or whatever i mean i think it's fine to the the idea i think it's i think it's perfectly fine to still have a soul and maintain that humans change over time if they get a little smarter but i think the big problem is is you look back at that we obviously share a common ancestor with these fuckers so at what point in our ancestry do we become full-blown humans with souls and what point do we not yeah i mean that <coughs> that's a very interesting question um I think the evidence for the soul would be like the development of of tools and the or the, the no the, no ed- monkeys can use tools element well, let me get, let me get to what I'm <laughs> so the evidence for the difference between a human soul and what was before it are like the more um, what's it called. Like one written language mm-hmm. is a pretty big thing um, that seemed seemed to divide us, and then two like more like complex tools. So like, like written language, written language. Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many cultures that have never developed written languages, but they could. But we did, you know, we did as a human mm-hmm. species, and then you know they could, and, and I think also like. Was vocal language also is a pretty big thing too. Mm-hmm. So like verbal, like do you think the Neanderthals talked to one another? I actually do believe they they did speak. Yes. And and they, do you think they had like a, a constructed language? Probably not. But I don't think Homo sapiens had a fully formed constructed language. That's interesting. I I, I think we would have all been speaking a proto language of some kind that was pretty unique. Well, in the biblical idea, I mean, language was divided at the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Right. So before that, we all spoke one language mm-hmm. is the idea. But how complicated was that language? I, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, these are we're really good at asking good questions. <laughs> <laughs> we are. But really I think good. I think it's fun to think about, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that, that kind of comes of this uh, still tangent, but uh, is the idea of like evolution like, okay, so, like, do you, like, I guess, how do you think that evolution and Christianity are compatible? 
I, I think there's nothing wrong with saying that God is a scientist to a, <laughs> he's, he is a deity. Don't get me wrong. He's yes. a deity. He's divine, but that he is also a scientist and that the world is his masterpiece, which makes sense. And then we could observe it. I, I there's nothing wrong with God changing his creation over time to fit different scenarios that he's already foreseen and he could work through natural forces rather than yeah uh, rather than divine intervention rather than direct divine intervention but he doesn't have to you know it's fine i think it's and i don't think any i don't even think you need to justify that i think when people ask well why would he do that it's just like i don't think he he, i don't think i need to justify that if there's first of all if there is a god out there who's all-knowing and all-powerful he's probably just doing some way more complicated shit than me yeah like (laughs) (laughs) Well said. I mean, as long as I know, like, is he good? Does he exist? That's another loaded question. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is a loaded question. I mean, but it's, that's I'm not going to talk about why he's good. I think he is. I have my reasons. This is not that podcast. That that's but, for another one. But <laughs> this is not that episode. I, I'd but, yeah. love to have you on another episode to talk about the problem of evil. Ah, uh, no, I don't want to talk. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> okay. But okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, but think about it. But... Where where are we going again? Okay, so so to get back to like how death is central to how we view life. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think we've explored a lot of the ideas of, like, mm-hmm. the soul, um, some of the, the more abstract ideas about death or, or life itself being maybe a simulation or um, at what you said, like, Brahma's dream, like, we mm-hmm. are within that dream. Um, I find, like, some of the spiritual, uh, like, kind of Native American ideas to be interesting. I don't mm-hmm. give them a lot of credence. Um but I'm I'm interested to learn more about them, um, but you know because I have limited knowledge of that mm-hmm. I can't really talk about that too much. Um, but I think worldviews of today are like atheism, mm-hmm. um, agnosticism, mm-hmm. um, Christianity, mm-hmm. Judaism, Islam, mm-hmm. and then what we talked about already somewhat with Buddhism. And Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Now we talked about how with Buddhism and Hinduism, the the I the the lack of reaching into the rational being mm-hmm. to me just like makes me unattracted to those concepts. Mm-hmm. Outside of some parts of Buddhism, at mm-hmm. least for me, where the the um, loss of desire it does seem to align with some level of the the morality that mm-hmm. i understand with at least within my conscience mm-hmm. but um to get into the other ideas i mean i think the you know the growing concept within western thought is um this idea of atheism where we live in this naturalist materialist mm-hmm. world where we are phys- we are just mere physical beings mm-hmm. and so to kind of break that down i i did outline this a little bit um if so to kind of get into this outline if death is our existential end then life is all we have and our goal becomes to maximize the existence that we have now yeah um which i think is very well fleshed out by the existentialists in france mm-hmm. and um the last you know in terms of philosophy the last hundred years yeah, like thomas nagel and shit like that. Yeah, yeah and the ideas of like nihilism mm-hmm. things like that um, which to, to kind of break into that a little bit, um, the, the idea of what we pursue in life in a, in a purely physical 
natural world where life ceases to exist at mm-hmm. the end and we just become mm-hmm. nothing like like we were before we existed supposedly mm-hmm. like we become annihilated or whatever to some degree um you know life becomes this pursuit of pleasure in the sense of like sex or other good feelings or power or mm-hmm. material wealth and those are the things that people with um you know who believe that this life is all we have mm-hmm tend to aim towards um yeah i tend to Mm -hmm. i think the the basic summary of it all is you choose you choose what you want to live for yeah there's not an objective morality it's Mm -hmm. subjective to Mm -hmm. the person himself or the culture to some Mm -hmm. degree like morality is so like Mm -hmm. the the one of the the philosophical arguments against um you know i guess atheism to some degree is that you don't you can't really argue that the nazis were bad Mm -hmm. if you believe in subjective morality Mm -hmm. based on culture of the person because they're doing what they felt was right Mm -hmm. to some degree like Mm -hmm. they they developed this view of the jews that were was Mm -hmm. very negative Mm -hmm. um it really well played out in the movie jojo rabbit where they kind of Mm -hmm. show like how he's just taught the whole time that he exists that mm-hmm. Jews are these monsters or whatever, yeah, and that they're subhuman basically, yeah. And so if they believe that, then acting in the way they did makes sense. Mm-hmm. But be, but we as people who believe in objective morality believe that murder and like human dignity is something that spreads to all humans mm-hmm. rather than just some you know races or peoples. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's an interesting part of it. Um, human dignity within the naturalistic worldview is completely arbitrary, uh, in in the sense that humans are the same as animals, mm-hmm. which kind of goes against what we were talking mm-hmm. about. But uh, which I think is interesting, the idea that we're just animals. Like I think it makes vegetarians and vegans make a lot of sense. Like if you're an atheist, why aren't you a vegetarian or a vegan? If 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 you believe that morally, mm. um, you know, it's bad to kill things or kill people, then it wouldn't make sense to not eat. But then life, like, even even plants are living. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to avoid killing, you know, anything, then you're, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be, like, almost a distinction that we have between plants and animals in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, maybe plants have no soul... Mm-hmm. And animals maybe, and what we've been talking about, maybe have like half mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff about atheism. I've heard some differing views, and I think they somewhat Flesh make those out sense if you want to, with if you want atheism. To. It's, you know, it's true. You would have no strong basis for those things. Or, or those things don't necessarily have to exist in a naturalistic world, but... I've I've met a lot of atheists who see first of all human dignity, moral compasses to be uh, products of human development that actually help the um, what is the word I'm looking for evolution um, help with yeah evolution with surviving so there's obviously some sort of fear of death there right but um, I guess the argument there would be mm-hmm. like rape so rape is not mm-hmm. against survival of the species. But it is, in our understanding of moral mm-hmm. objectives, wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and like, to the idea of human dignity, like... No, it, I think it is. 
Okay. It's it's an affront to the the society's lawfulness is lawfulness is very important for surviving. If laws are flaunted and people can just violate other people like that, then what sort of precedence does that set? They can continue to do this more and more until it creeps into other parts. Right. That's interesting. I mean, I think... I think the problem... The problem is still, like, where, where, where? It's, like, wh- where? Exactly where do we, like, draw these lines? Yeah. And I, I think, too, it's, like... Also, that's subject to change with every society. It's so strange. I mean, and we've seen, like, how, how like, things have really changed. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so in the course of human history, we've never, like, really had, like, a real feminist movement until like recently where women were viewed Mm -hmm. on the same level why do we think that that is right Mm -hmm. objectively Mm -hmm. uh looking back at history why are we critiquing all these patriarchies and shit like that Mm -hmm. if it was just purely about the evolution and the laws Mm -hmm. of the species Mm -hmm. like those those did survive Mm -hmm. and they brought us to the point where the population has grown Mm -hmm. Like, so why do we look back with, you know, feminist ideology and say, like, you know, women should have been treated equally? Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. You know, it it does. I think even for even for feminist atheists, it does present a problem of, you know, what is the basis for you trying to change things at all? Yeah. Yeah. What is the basis? Why are you critiquing this thing so long ago? Yeah. No, it's true. It's kind of hard to say, like, We're, this is right. You know, you're you're making a... I guess it's true because really, in reality, people are making moral claims. They're not just saying this would be... They're making moral claims. Regardless, it's not right. It's not correct to do this. It's bad to do this. Yeah. So, obviously, there... Yeah, there is a problem with that. Because that's kind of the interesting <clears throat> thing with today is, like, mm-hmm. we... We have so many moral claims mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like the the progressive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reality of the political landscape that we live in. Like, we are progressing towards feminism, mm-hmm. towards uh, racial equality, things mm-hmm. like that, and we believe that those things are objectively right. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of times, the people who are arguing that are coming from a point place where objective morality is the the argument for it is weak as mm-hmm. hell at best mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and and i don't think survival and evolution makes enough of an argument to explain that no it's true it doesn't make enough of an argument i agree wholeheartedly i think um there are some interesting things though as i think about atheistic views because honestly i feel as though many people live just the same just in line with the atheist the atheist's view honestly even if we're talking about religious people and christians now there are people who take their religious their religion seriously and they actually live consistently but for the most part people just generally live for the self it is exactly as they do you know yeah they're not out here like i don't know looking for some universal purpose or some unchanging purpose uh they're just choosing to do to mitigate harm to themselves and yeah i don't know make their life as as have a quality life whatever that means well and and that's the interesting thing too is like this idea that's coming up in today mm-hmm. this culture of like self love like yeah. love yourself first mm-hmm. and then and then you are free to love others mm. and and 
but we fail to love ourselves so much, you know? Yeah, we do. Like, and we see our flaws in mm-hmm. the deepest state of who we mm-hmm. are. And so I I think it's actually kind of a weak weak point of view mm-hmm. to talk about self-love in, in some regard because, like, okay, what should the pedophiles love themselves? Should the rapists love themselves? No. Should the, should the <laughs> yeah. murderers of the innocent love themselves? No. No. And, and then, uh, but then, what? At what point are the 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 flaws and and what we would call sins mm-hmm. of humanity uh, overlookable enough to to where we could say we should we would say like you should love yourself as you are. Mm. I think that's like an interesting. You should love yourself question. as you are. So this idea of self-love, I mean, what exactly is your main point there, actually? My point there is that I think it it's a weak, weak view of pride. Like, the idea that's been put out there is that we should love ourselves no matter what. Mm-hmm. And yet that kind of rubs against our moral um, uh, dilemmas and moral, mm-hmm. like, statements. If applied consistently. If applied consistently, yeah. Although, do we ever have exceptions? I mean, do we have to apply everything consistently? I mean, you know, that's a great question too. I don't. I, don't, I think there are always exceptions, but I mean, I, I think I think you do bring up a good point where it talks about you know people like loving themselves and things like that. I think it's very tied to people like giving their own life meaning or purpose, right? Yeah. And I think here's the problem: what if you decided incorrectly? Like, what if the thing? removing any sort of god element or any sort of theistic element what if at the end of your life you were just like wow that was the wrong purpose like uh let's the fucking the nazi ss soldiers they just that do look back and they're like why did i live for that why the fuck did i live for that yeah that's so strange that i spent my entire life living for that like or, or just a person who pours their entire life into their work and neglects their family, you know, like where, where work and, and, or I think even Christians can do this, where work is viewed as their like relationship with God or something. Like if it's not, yeah. they're not working well, if they're not producing quality work, then they're, they have a bad time with that. So it's like, where are people putting their purpose? It's like, yeah, what if you decide wrong? I think that's a big thing. And also, what if you change your mind? Is it, are you really comfortable with the purpose changing over time? People's preferences change so goddamn much. Yeah. We're so fickle. I think we genuinely need something outside of ourselves making this decision instead of us. We're just, we're so wishy-washy. We are very wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I, I think we're getting to some interesting points there. How many times have I seen someone's wishy-washiness actually fuck their mental health? How many times? Go ahead. I've seen it a couple times. I'm not going <laughs> to name names. And <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. I think, you know, I've seen people who their their preferences are changing all the time. Their thoughts are never what they want to do. Their purpose is changing all the time. And it changes. And I've actually seen sometimes it is the very fact that they recognize the change that fucks them, like, oh my god, what the fuck am I gonna do? Or, uh, and then at times it's just like literally you just never stick to anything enough to like do. But I, I think I've heard it so many times in our culture. It's like, yeah, do whatever you want, change your mind. That's okay. It's like, no, at some point commit to something. Like, or, or really, I think an even better question is, what if you just never find the purpose? 
What if you? What if you're always on the search? What if you're always on the search? Was that just your purpose? The search to never find? Would you encourage that person to commit suicide? If they were just like, I don't think I can find this at 80. You know, just like, oh, well, you should probably kill yourself. You know, like, no one's going to say that, right? So it's, yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that, like, to some extent, like, the existentialists get to that point where they're like, you can just go ahead and fucking kill yourself, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, and and that's obviously, I'm not for that, Mm -hmm. but, like, they get to a point where there's no, there's no purpose that, like, supersedes the idea of killing yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to do that, go ahead and do that. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I'd like to clarify is atheists are not bad people, right? Oh, yeah. They are good people. They are capable of great good. I mean, I think you know about David Foster Wallace. We've had conversations. Oh, I fucking love I David love Foster Wallace. And his speech, this is water. He oh, talks great. all about That's a great what speech. it means to be conscious and considerate of people. It's And talks about human decency and what it means to live and not just like go through the motions of life. And I, I thought that was an amazing speech. It is. And it was. And I thought it was amazing that he you know, came to those conclusions. And they, they were just so poignant, really. And it was just incredible. And so th- th- there's proof right there that people who don't have belief in a th- in a d- in the divine can be good, you know, and can make good decisions. I think the biggest thing that we're trying to say here is that you actually do need a philosophy to back up why you do good, yes. and how you do good, and what is good. Because if you don't, it it gets problematic. Well, the word you use is fickle. It, yeah, it becomes like a fickle mm-hmm. uh, exercise because. Yeah. Like you said, like the idea that we're doing good mm-hmm. without any purpose or without any outcome that we're looking for, mm-hmm. um, that that we feel like we lack any control over, mm-hmm. uh, we we can b- become like you know lost in that. Yeah. Um, but like I really do agree with your point, and to some extent, I like look up to the existentialists mm-hmm. in that they were consistent with mm-hmm. their worldview. Like I think that people who are, uh, I, my personal belief is that people who are honest with themselves about what they believe end up uh, getting closer to the real answers mm-hmm. because they're actually doing the search. Yeah, and then eventually, some of them do come to the right conclusions. You talk but about I think Cam, you. Well, so no, Kim, I <laughs> so I, I mean, Camus may have you know accepted Christ okay. at the end, but um, you know, but I think in the real world, like we're we're interacting with people today. I yeah. think, think people who are honest with themselves about where mm-hmm. what their beliefs are and what they mean uh, mm-hmm. open themselves up to real intellectual integrity. Yeah, to the point where they can find, I think, what is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, that's. Yeah. That that's how, that's how I look yeah. at the world, yeah. and so I actually think like people like David Foster Wallace, who actually explore um, their their own viewpoints with intellectual integrity, are to be looked up to because they point towards kind of the deeper truths that they do find. Like he he pointed to a moral like choice that we have as human beings to mm-hmm. either just like dot like become one with the routine mm-hmm. and cease to like think critically about our lives or to see the good in the mm-hmm. world and pursue it. Why like, did he kill himself? I, so I think it's a, there's a couple elements to that. Mm-hmm. I think one thing was he had a, a deep chemical imbalance in his brain. 
mm-hmm. um, that he no longer could find a good medication for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that level of depression, I think, played mm-hmm. into it okay. uh, in, a, in a chemical sense. Mm-hmm. And then two, I think, like his worldview, I don't think gave him um, too much purpose to mm-hmm. evade that to some degree. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you think he would have described to the like, well, you know, this is a dreamless sleep and like death is a dreamless sleep or it's the cessation of sensation and therefore it's it's kind of I think it's gonna, like, I think so. Pain, I think he obviously he thought that death was the end um based on what in I I'm, I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. one of those guys who's a third of the way through Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and have been that way for like a year. And have been I'm constantly reading it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not as dirty as that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I I mean, I I really I, even though like I don't agree with everything he says or whatever, I I think a lot of what he has to say about the real world is is deeply true. Mm-hmm. Um and he is, explores the ideas of addiction and and pain and and social class and shit like that, mm-hmm. um, in this way that's like uh, not too preachy or anything, but just like he's exploring the 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 real world in that mm-hmm. sense. I like I'm not I, I I am a believer that that there's negative real world outcomes to living um, a consistent life with atheism, but. Mm-hmm. I think the people who actually are honest with themselves with what they believe mm-hmm. uh, open themselves up to finding, you know, truth. Mm-hmm. And and you know maybe it's maybe it's not the whole truth, but maybe it's partially mm-hmm. the truth. You know, um, but yeah, again, like I really do like a lot of the existentialists. Like I find them fascinating. Oh, yeah. What do you okay? What do you think of Kierkegaard, um, the so-called father of existentialism, who is a Christian? Actually, I don't know much about him. So, I don't know enough to even speak on him. Yeah, so that's something worth exploring. I yeah. think it's interesting. I've I've learned a little bit. Um, I have read The Stranger by Camus. That's a really good one. Okay. And, I mean, that's it. Really, it reads like a you know like a story and a novel, but it does have like weird. Un- I mean, it, who are it, some atheists that you like? Okay, including that I've Camus. Read that that you like like things about, like so, including Camus. Oh, I mean, well, he's one, definitely. Uh, he's pointed out some things that I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true, actually. Like, in, in the book, The Stranger, it follows this guy whose shit just happens to him. He makes decisions on a whim, and everybody keeps ascribing a ton of fucking, like, meaning and, 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 and motivations and mm. intentions to every one of his actions is all being linked, but they really were just disconnected. And he ends up being executed at the very end of it. Like, all these things leading up and, and all these things having been connected. So that was a really cool one that I like. Because I'm like, yeah, no, not everything that people fucking do has a, you know, has a very well-tied meaning or intention to it. They, yeah. So things are just like, it's, it's like, and it's absurd that people do that all the time. But, I mean, Simone, I've only read The, the Second Sex by Simone de Beauvoir. Um, I've never read, um, what's that little fucker with the eye that's going this way? Mm. He fucked Simone de Beauvoir. I don't know. He had said he's the other guy, Sartre. Sartre, okay. Sartre, Sartre. I mean, he's cool. Existentialists, I, I don't know. I, I don't know too many of them. I don't like I don't... love all of them, but I, like some of them, I, I find like in, incredibly fascinating, mm-hmm. and I think there's things that we can learn from what they have to say about life. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's true. I mean, 
all of my like favorite philosophers are old dudes who you never actually know if they actually did something. But who, like, who are some of your weird. favorite philosophers? Because oh, I've told yeah, I've told you some of them. Diogenes of Sinope. Okay. Is my favorite. I want a tangent on Diogenes of <laughs> Diogenes of Sinope is uh, he's he is a um, a cynic. Okay. And not just like the way you call someone cynical. Like it's the actual school of philosophy, and it's and it's we don't actually have like Diogenes's like writings on cynicism, but it seems to be in view that like people should live uninhibited, and that they should live. Like we we create Diogenes' life and his is a protest to the cultural things that we create and do arbitrarily. Uh huh. And so, for example, he pissed on a person in the road. He shit in the town square, and he was <laughs> masturbating in public. And the way he saw it was, those were just bodily functions that needed to happen. Like that. Was, <laughs> like, <laughs> Like <laughs> those, those were just bodily functions that needed to happen. It's like he was eating in the town square, and and that was like a frowned upon thing. Like this, I think in the market actually, and somebody like asked him, and they're like, "Why are you eating in the market?" And he's like, "It was in the market that I was hungry." And, it was like, <laughs> and so, so it, this guy's entire life is just like, "Fuck these like weird arbitrary rules and like everything that you're doing." And my favorite story is always. Um, it's always uh, who is it? It's fucking um. It's yeah. So he probably lived around the same time as Plato. Um, he hated Plato. He thought Plato's philosophy was too abstract. Yeah, at one point in time, philosophers didn't think being too abstract was right, and he, <laughs> he was okay. In Diogenes, he was a super practical guy. He was all about like, what does this look like practically? Like, what can we do practically? And everything he did was for that. Um, and Plato was giving a teaching about, um, I guess one important question for some reason was how do you describe a human in as least amount of terms as possible? And Plato was like, oh, I'll answer it. And he's giving a class and, and, um, Plato goes a featherless biped and Diogenes gets up, walks out and then returns later with a plucked chicken and says, behold a man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so he loved he was just, he was kind of a shit he used to walk around with a lamp and in the broad daylight and, and when people would ask like what are you doing he's like i'm looking for an honest person and then he would, like, keep going. but yeah it's it, the but the funny i think even to relate it back to death he, he finally he first of all he's just the badass of like i don't know to be but when he's, he has supposedly lived a really long time, actually, like way longer than your average dude, which is weird because he lived in a tub on the street and <laughs> he believed poverty was a virtue. So he, he saw a kid with a bolt, like drinking from his hands uh -huh. and all he owned was literally some scrolls, a lamp and a bowl. And he broke the bowl because he felt like he was shamed by a child. Like, <laughs> like, but they asked him like, so Diogenes, you're getting kind of old, you're going to die, dude. Like we respect you. Like. You know, when are you going to fucking, like, like, what are you going to do? Like, what, what, do we, what do you want us to do when you die? And, like, they're obviously trying to honor him. And he's just like, yo, just throw me in the woods and let the animals feast on me. And they're like, wait. No, he just says, throw me in the woods. And they're like, well, what about the animals feasting on you? And apparently, at, during this time of day, there was a very specific rite for, in Greek culture. Mm -hmm. and And that was a big fear, like. 
you didn't want animals feasting on a person's dead body. That would that would get in the way of the process of going to, you know, Hades or, and. He was like, just go ahead and like strap a sword or a stick to my hand. And they were like, how would you be conscious to use it? And he was like, how would I be conscious to care about animals fucking with me? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so this is like his final last dig. Apparently he might have died from holding his breath. <laughs> there are three. There are three. One, he ate a raw octopus is one of the. And then the other one is that he just decided to hold his breath until he died. That's funny. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's a guy who's just like, yeah, he, he really did. He lived super consistently. Like, he did not give a fuck. Apparently, he should have written The Secret Art of Not Giving a Fuck. He should have read The Secret Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I mean, there's another story with him and Alexander the Great. And I think, you know, his death really does inform some of his shit. Like, the, he just didn't care. Like, he was just like, life is, like, I'm just going to do what I want when I want it. Like, and I'm not going to, like, let this society tell me what to do. Um, Alexander the Great, and this may not have happened, but it's pretty famous for some fucking reason, goes to the city where Alexander is, and he's sunbathing. And Alexander's got this, like, entourage of niggas, like, behind him, right? <laughs> and he, he's looking for Diogenes. He finds Diogenes, and he says, Diogenes, like, I really respect you. Like, if there's anything you want, I'll give it to you. And Diogenes responds get out of my son because he's sunbathing on the ground like in the middle of the scare and alexander does it and the people laugh at him they're like do you know who the fuck this is like what the fuck is wrong with you and alexander says like truly i tell you like if i were not alexander i would wish to be diogenes and diogenes just says if i were not diogenes i would also wish to be diogenes <laughs> <laughs> oh what a badass i don't know so yeah i don't know that yeah i yeah, he's a guy i have a lot i guess you could call him an ex ex existentialist to a certain degree i mean he's, there's some similarities there's for some sure. yeah i mean obviously he predates existentialism by many years yeah um there's some stoic philosophers like zeno zeno also apparently he died because he stubbed his toe and he hit his fist against the ground and said he said i I come, I come, why dost thou call me? And then he held his breath until he died for some reason. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't even understand what was wrong with these people. I mean, stoicism is another thing entirely, but... Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, these are some of my favorites. And, and they do have... Actually, the ancient philosophers have some really interesting ways of dying. There's one that talks about a bird of prey. I think it was Epicurus. Like dropping a tortoise on his head and that's how he died and it's just like there's some str a lot of them hold their breath until they die <laughs> like <laughs> what a way to go what I a know. way to go well to, to kind of keep going yeah. um so the, to, to flesh out what we we're talking about with atheism mm -hmm. if the universe is purely naturalistic and free will is an illusion then we have no choices and so expecting people to be different than what they are is an unfair expectation because they are what they have to be. Mm. And I think that's something that people don't live consistent with within like the people like people who believe in purely the natural world is mm -hmm. they don't think about that that means that there's an absence of free will and then like change is like impossible outside of what nature nature's whims are, you know? Mm. Um yeah, so like I say, good progress is only possible through the whims of nature. I, I think to have a progressive point of view, 
um, hoping for human progress mm-hmm. in a purely naturalistic worldview is like, why are you hoping for something that you have, or like, why are you trying to control something that you have no control over? Like at a certain mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about that. In that they, way. A lot of atheists do tend to tell us that, yeah, we're just, uh, we're, we're just a product of our biological processes. Like we are yeah. the brain. We are the mind controlled by the brain. Like, that's it. Like, we will just only ever be what our brain chemistry is. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So kind of then to continue, um, another popular idea is that we can go to two places, the positive afterlife of heaven Mm -hmm. and the negative afterlife of hell. Mm -hmm. And there's some similar worldviews with these ideas. Judaism, to some degree, has that concept. Um, Islam to some degree has that concept though it could look differently mm-hmm. um, Catholicism to some degree has that concept mm-hmm. um, the, the the positive um, actions being the sacraments and Catholicism like that is your choice mm-hmm. do you want to partake in the sacraments those can earn you you know at, at least a lower sentence in purgatory if not the you know a, a direct path to heaven um, by by consistently doing the sacraments. Um, so there's a, a few different worldviews with the similar idea of like, if we act good enough, if we're good enough with our actions, we can achieve a positive afterlife. If we are too evil, then we will go to a negative afterlife. Um, and what this leads to, I think, is the idea that we would want to do good in order to earn our way into the positive afterlife or heaven. Mm-hmm. So we pursue good works and virtue under existential duty. Like, we have to do this mm-hmm. because we want the best eternity. Yeah, yeah. And so, the, but the question then becomes, how good is good enough? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of these positions um, have a difficult time answering that question. I think mm-hmm. some people actually do draw the line on that. Mm-hmm. Like, how good is good enough? But I think even those people who draw the line are very, I mean, they're coming to that conclusion somewhat arbitrarily, it seems. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, I mean, it's just a really hard question to answer. How good is good enough? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're destined to live, I think, in, in, in in this line of thinking, in perpetual fear, wondering if we've met the standard of our all knowing judge. Um, because, you know, Judaism, Catholicism, Islam, mm-hmm. all are monotheistic. They mm-hmm. agree with having one God um, who is all-knowing, all-powerful to some degree, probably mm-hmm. to that degree. But um, So th- they're in agreement on that. Um, good progress can be achieved through good choices, and moral purity would be our aim, which then lends to the idea of focus on self. Mm-hmm. Like you are just consistently focusing on self. It's entirely self-serving. Because you can't control anybody else's afterlife, but you mm-hmm. can control your mm-hmm. own uh, if you have free will, which mm-hmm. most of these people would agree you mm-hmm. have free will. Um, so the universe would be created by an intelligent designer. Um, and that would kind of be the way to go about it. I... Just uh, innately, I just it it rubs me the wrong way that we could just earn our way to the good afterlife or to heaven 
to some degree because I just think we're all shitheads and I think there's so many shitheads out there and the idea that most of us are going to like even even like a few of us are going to be pure enough to achieve like the good afterlife to me Mm -hmm. I guess doesn't make a whole lot of sense because a lot of us are ruled um, by our flesh Mm -hmm. by our um, natural desires our our pleasure like Mm -hmm. you were talking about the pleasure receptors in our Mm -hmm. brain things like that Um, we would just be fighting ourselves constantly throughout life Mm -hmm. which just seems so uh, difficult like such a difficult existence Mm -hmm. to like constantly be fighting your nature to achieve virtue Mm-hmm. Like I just think it's that life then becomes torture to some degree. Mm-hmm. I also think you're not. I, I think to add to that, if if it's just that goal in mind to work towards heaven, you are not actually doing good. There's something to be said about not actually doing good for good's sake. Right. You're not doing it because you think that it's you're doing right. it for your own sake. You're doing it for your own sake. It's it's your intentions are actually terrible. The guy, like, you know, you believe that a God of the universe said that something was good without actually considering why. Like, you haven't taken his view at all. You're, you're just robotically, it's just formulaic. And I, that's just, there's something to be said about that. I think that is kind of immoral. I think that does diminish the actions that you, you do. And I think it's, um, I don't think any God's really going to honor that. <laughs> well, and it, it, it gets into the question of what is love. Mm-hmm. Baby, don't hurt me. No, you didn't need no to do more. that. You didn't need to do that. Why are you but doing I did that? <laughs> but I did it. Because, like, the idea is that only the love is only for the purpose mm-hmm. of serving oneself. Like, the only reason you're taking loving action is because you ultimately want, you know, good for yourself. Mm-hmm. So then is that truly self-sacrificial love, which I think is the ultimate form of it, um, mm-hmm. the agape form of love, I mean, we talk about, like, in, in in our stories, the coolest, you know, like, I guess to be super modern, you get the Iron Man dying to protect humanity. That That is, like, sacrificial love, not because he wants to serve himself, but because he, <coughs> he actually cares about other people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but those people who are just trying to serve this virtue for the sake of a heaven, to go to heaven... Mm-hmm. They're they're actually only really just trying to serve themselves yeah. rather they're than just trying to save themselves. Save themselves, yeah. Mm-hmm. They could be the wor- the shittiest person internally, and uh, yeah, just be doing all the right shit. Or I guess you know, yeah, or just enough, just enough, you know. And I think there's something about real love that mm-hmm. actually speaks true that somebody knows. When the love is actually focused on them mm-hmm. rather than on oneself, like there's just some way that we can tell that love, whether love is like mm-hmm. just self-serving or love is is real. You know, love is that that sacrificial sense of like you're doing this for the good of someone else, regardless of your own well-being in it. Like that's. Maybe. I, I think you can tell when that shit's real. I'm, Personally. I oh I could not always. I I'm not yeah, I've I'm not saying with always in my entire life. I'm not saying always, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time you can tell. Like on this interpersonal level. Mm, maybe. Like I I mean there's uh, like parents and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you can tell if your parent like 
is doing it because they want what's best for you mm -hmm. or because they're taking value uh, f from you as a child, like trying to, like, do they care about you as a human being and what's, what, what's, what, you know, what's best for you or do they want to protect this image that they're a good parent and that they've raised a contributor to society and they're just trying to, you know, take their identity from how good you are. I think there's some, there's some times where you can kind of tell the difference there, like as a mm -hmm. kid. Um, cause there is like, there, there definitely is both of those in parents. There's some parents who like just try to over take their identity from their yeah. kids' lives. They're living vicariously through that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. So I, I think you can tell when parents are doing shit because they actually like genuinely love their kids versus mm -hmm. they're trying to build this image of self mm -hmm. and they're being self-serving. Uh, and I think that goes into other types of relationships too, like love. Like there's there's a I, like with you talking about being like somewhat cynical, I think a lot of times, you know, uh, we have the rom-coms where like love is just this natural thing that, that comes and it's like, you know, whatever, like it just changes somebody. Whereas like the reality is like, in my opinion, at least love is a choice that you have to like fight for. And real love is like actually very difficult. Um, and, and not many people fully experience it, but if it like when it, when we do see it in the real world, when somebody, rather than acting for self-preservation, actually really gives a shit about another human and acts in the interest of that other person rather than themselves, I think there is points where you see that. But I think it's rare. It's not this natural, easy thing. I think it's a choice that people have to make, like, that weighs things. And, like, you know, it, it's, you know, kind of to get into Christianity a little bit, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you know, he's he's going through pain and suffering not because it's what's good for him but because he actually cares about the well-being of humanity and he wants us to be able to live with him in paradise in heaven and so rather than you know caring about his own mm -hmm. physical well-being or um you know living the best life for him in the moment mm -hmm. he's living the life to save humanity and to mm -hmm. Um, and, and to offer that free gift to everybody. And so like, it's not in his best interest personally mm -hmm. to go through the intense pain and suffering that he went through, but it is in the best interest of humans mm -hmm. that he loves. And so he goes through it, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I think like, but I think that's not natural or something that everybody experiences, but something that very few experience when they make the difficult decision mm -hmm. to actually genuinely love somebody outside of themselves. Mm. Do, do you agree with that? Or what do you think about that? I mean, I think I agree. I can't put it any differently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't add to that. It's well, it's well put as you've been saying. Thank that. you. Well, I think I think that was an incredible description. Yeah, I, th I think it's I mean it rings true. So, um, so the, I mean then again, the Christian worldview we believe that you get to that you can get to heaven through grace, and so what that offers is like instead of you know you 
living a life of virtue and moral goodness to earn salvation, to earn uh, the forgiveness for our mistakes. Mm -hmm. You are making a decision to accept a free gift, the free gift of Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your Mm -hmm. sins so that you get a free ticket to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, And the cool thing with that is it's we have eternal security mm-hmm. it, not in like our moral decisions but in the ticket that we've chosen to accept mm-hmm. um and our goal can be to extend this gift to other people so mm-hmm. we actually have motivation because we are secure mm-hmm. in where we think we're going to go mm-hmm. now i mean there's varying levels of security like some people are less confident and yeah. experienced out and that's okay mm-hmm. but like i i do think um, people who live consistently with the Christian worldview and get to mm-hmm. a certain point of confidence can live within this eternal security that allows them to get the focus outside of themselves to loving other people with mm-hmm. this message. Um, and so we can focus on extending this gift to other people. Now, I think we always have this somewhat self-serving life. Like, I mean, we, we do. That's just yeah. human nature. But I think at points we can get we can get outside of ourselves to actually offer that to other mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Why why do you let me ask you this question? Yeah. Why do you think so many Christians despite such a hopeful a lot of people who believe that have such a hopeful outlook outlook on their I don't know, their life after death that they fear death. I I tend even the most faithful and 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 even the most faithful people I've ever seen uh-huh. And mature people and people who like really know are afraid of death. To some degree. You know, I think it's varying degrees. I, I really do. Like, I think I think we all have to wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally certainly have. Um, but I, I do think that there's a level of confidence you can get to. That, like, I do think there's some that, that aren't. That, that, that don't really fear death at the end. Like, I, I don't think that it's, like, that's particularly common or anything. And I think there's a lot of, like, kind of fake Christians out there. There's a lot of people who just claim to be Christians and don't actually give a shit about their worldview. And they just kind of naturally, like, they grew up in it, so that's what they, you know, live out. But they don't really think about it critically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for them if you don't really have like the the worldview around it like mm-hmm. you're not going to have that sense of eternal security yeah um but then even those who experience doubts which i think i do at points like i i think there's only cer- uh, so much that evidence can take you i think there's mm-hmm. a certain place where you have to uh what kierkegaard would actually call the leap of faith mm-hmm um, and you have to jump in to this position to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think following the evidence is what we should all try to do, but I don't think like mm-hmm. if the evidence was so clear that everybody would just come to this natural conclusion, mm-hmm. I think everybody would get there, but that it doesn't, mm-hmm. there's no one position that everybody gets to. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the point the evidence can take you to. And then from there, Mm. you have to take the leap of faith. You have to Mm -hmm. actually choose to believe it. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think that's, that's pretty big. And I, I, you know, 
I don't think, like you said, I don't think everybody gets to this point of like eternal security. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people do, and I think the people that do get there through, you know, really exploring the evidence in depth, mm-hmm. and then taking that leap of faith, and, and and, but I think the other thing too that's interesting is like the experience of miracles and things like that can be like really faith building for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do experience that, so like uh, James Rochford uh, has a really good teaching about miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and and like I've talked to this guy from uh, this uh, missionary from uh, Africa who mm-hmm. talked about like seeing demons possess real people. And I think if you witness a demon possession and you believe that to be genuine, I think it's hard to deny the spiritual reality of God, <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, but I think Satan, what Satan does and, and one of his main like goals is to hide that to some degree, especially within Western society. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, doubts come in and like, to the extent that we let them, you know, control our belief, like mm-hmm. it can affect, affect how we think. I mean, I'm talking with, uh, one of my friends who um, has done like real real deep dives in heaven and hell and shit mm-hmm. like that and he and he's like a, you know kind of you know almost a pastor or whatever mm-hmm. and he still you know really fears death um, so I yeah I don't know yeah. I think yeah I, th- I think it's there's a limit to yeah. the eternal security we're talking about but I think uh, it does exist yeah I, I, I think for some people, who really think about it and then take that leap of faith, they can experience that. And I've experienced it where mm-hmm. my my fear of death has been way lessened yeah. in adult. I mean, are do you still feel fear of death to some degree? Like, do, like, do you experience that, or like, does that plague you much? No, not as much as it used to. So you, so yeah. you feel more confident mm-hmm. at this point. I think that I've, can. I've always like, believed to some in it. I, well, okay, there was a time where I doubted heaven, but I've always believed in one, and I think the freedom came when. You know, growing up Muslim, it becomes less arbitrary, and you you grow up under this confusing arbitrary system, and then you find a new faith, which I have in Christianity, that it makes more sense, it's more straightforward, and God seems to, I don't know, he seems to be logical, too. He yeah. doesn't seem to be like this guy who changes his mind a lot, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's really, yeah, I... So yeah, I do. I do fear death less. I, I fear the outcome less. But I I do think doubts can really plague people with that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they'll come again more in my life. But mm-hmm. at this point, I, I've thought about it enough, and I'm consistently searching. And like, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at with my worldview. Mm-hmm. Like I've just haven't found other things that really explain the world to the capacity that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my current worldview does, and so I'm willing to take that level of faith where I'm like, yeah, I, I really, you know, I'm going to invest in this, you know. Mm. But, um, you know, okay, so s- just some other, like, flesh-out things on this. So uh, we are free from living focused on earning our eternal home, and we can focus on others. We have objective morality based on the standards given by God based on his character. Um, and then God, God is the omniscient arbiter of justice. So we actually have like this this 
a position where we can understand objective morality mm-hmm. and how it how it works and where it comes from mm-hmm. because of the worldview yeah. with an omniscient God. Um, and that's I think that's pretty big because it gives me like direction with morality because I actually have a basis where it comes from, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, so to get into a couple other ideas, I mean, either God has given us limited free will or we are predestined predestined in life by God. Uh, I think that's pretty I, I just don't think we anybody lives consistent with that. If we have no free will, why would God author so many moral imperatives in Scripture? doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, now, I think the Calvinism-Arminianism <clears throat> debate would be for another episode at some time. But uh, I think it's worth at least mentioning in this. Um, we live as if free will exists. We just do. We naturally do. Uh, good progress can be achieved through good choices. And that's something that I think is hopeful within the Christian worldview is that we, mm-hmm. based on our decisions, can actually lead to good progress to come forward. Now, it's still difficult because there's so many other um, factors to come into play, but I think it, it like, mm-hmm. I think it's possible. Uh, and I, you know, to fight your cynicism, I think it's hopeful. Yeah. Um, there's a basis for human dignity and racial equality. I think that's something mm. we both believe in. Yeah. That I think the Christian worldview actually offers an explanation for. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do I have any thoughts on that? I mean... Uh, briefly, I suppose. I mean, you just... There are some scary people out there, actually. There are some scary people who say some scary things. Um, there's a large, like, far-right movement gaining power in, in, in Europe, and they're very racist. And their favorite things to cite are... They, they want to cite scientific sources and things like that, which kind of, it's scary because scientific realism could always become, a, racism could always be a thing. Um, and it has been a thing for a while, even though we've tried to, like, nip that in the bud. Like the God. eugenics type shit. Eugenics, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, some of the things they like to cite is, like, IQ levels are lower in brown countries and middle eastern countries and african countries and that's why they shouldn't be here they should have fixed their own fucking country or or people who believe that inherently um black people are do have like lesser genetic traits and things like that people who think that actually race exists on a biological level which Mm -hmm. it does not actually on a genetic level i mean it does exist as in my skin is brown, but our genetics, actually, I could have more in common with someone genetically in Europe than than someone on the African continent. Um, or a person who has never left, who has no sort of contact, who has never had contact with, genetic contact with a person who is white in years, meaning he's, he has... Only black ancestors. He's, he's only black ancestors can have more in common with the earth. So when we look at like all the genes that make up race, very tiny percentage, tiny ass percentage make up race. A larger amount is is just really just the similarities that all human beings share. And so so it is really arbitrary and, and genetics find no proof of uh, it existing and in actuality. It's just more of a social construct that we define based on skin color and, and hair texture and all sorts of things. But I think the cool thing is the Lord has always spoken out against injustice. He brings it up several times in the Old Testament, you know, and so that's really cool to me. It's like, 
do justice. And, and we see several movements by people who are theists, who are driven by their theism. They're, they're the people who actually got up and stood up first before anyone else. You know, they led the, the civil rights movements of all different colors of white people. You know, these were the people preaching in the pulpit. I mean, MLK and mm-hmm. Malcolm X were both theists. But even all of the clergy that were around them, you yeah. know, like all of the lesser known people. Like this was uh, this was a basis for which we could, you know, determine that human beings who simply have a different color are not inferior. And so, yeah, I think that is it's very much true. I mean, it, we, I mean, it's true. We we all stand on the same sort of playing field. Playing field, yeah. In that regard, so I think there is a strong case for equality because we are all human, and humans share the image of their creator. This is a very special thing that is described specifically in Genesis. That's and, something that and, the and soul, that is, to some degree, I yeah. think is. And yeah, I think that actually, I don't think it's like a, it's mostly visual. I think a lot of it is our characteristics that are imbued within us. Our spiritual soul that separates mm-hmm. us from yeah. other animals. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, and then God's moral direction and evangelism offer uh, levels of purpose uh, in this life mm-hmm. that, that real really give meaning um, and, and you can see that throughout the history of, um, you know, Christianity, mm-hmm. the life of Paul, guy who's like really driven towards what he believes is true, um, you know, things like that. Um, and then just kind of end, I mean, I think, you know, the problem with agnosticism is that the answer is that we don't know the answer. Mm. And so like. There's a lot of confusion. Like we are unsure of the afterlife and the basis for morality. We are unsure of free will or how the universe began. We are unsure of human purpose. Um, and so it, it, agnosticism, it, you know, I mean, I think it's, it, it's legitimate to very much ask these questions, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, if you don't know the answer, it's hard to know where those, where the answer leads if you don't know what the answer is you know yeah so that's kind of the the thing there i think it's kind of confusing Mm -hmm. to to what to say about that other Mm -hmm. than that it's confusing yeah yeah absolutely no it is other than that it is confusing yeah i mean agnosticism it's it's a good place to be you'd want to be neutral i think about that sort of thing but i mean it's it's good to be it's, it, a, it's an honest position. Vince yeah, it's Vince. an honest position. It's an honest position, I think. It's, you know... Yeah, I think I don't it's know a starting place happen. for a lot of yeah. people. I don't know where, what's going to happen when I die. And and maybe you do fear death, and maybe you don't. And maybe it's a, a motivator to explore the answers. Although, I have met some agnostics who are just like, I don't care, and I don't care to investigate. I won't say it doesn't exist, but I won't say it. Yeah. Well. I mean, like a general sense of apathy. Which I don't... You know, I don't think is like I think that that's similar to the people who just don't give a shit about mm. worldview and then just end up at the end of their lives having to think about it mm. because they've never thought about it. Mm. You know, I do think there's a, a large segment of society that just is ignorant to what they think about death, and so they don't really they they just put it off to where you know eventually they kind of have to confront it near the end. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's, that's what we had. Um, did you have any other closing points? No, I mean, I, 
I don't think I do. I mean, death is the strange thing that can be explored so much. Um, I think the only thing I'd have to say is, uh, you know, we probably didn't cover everything. We probably didn't maybe give the most accurate description of all worldviews or what they think, or, or you know. But that's okay. You know, we 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 know that it's just too much to touch on. We gotta keep. We sure we give you an hour and a half. We gave you an hour and a half. If I, you uh, if you want to learn more, you know, feel free to reach out or. <laughs> but more realistically, do your own research. Just go Google. Yeah, go Google stuff. Like see. What read read say. books. Read books. Read books. Read my book. I don't have a book. But yeah, I'd love if I'd love you to write a book. I've told you about my book idea. God damn it! I'm no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, fuck you. All right. Well, All right. anyway, yeah. I think this was a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, uh, I I enjoyed uh, exploring these thoughts with you. And uh, yeah, if, if if anybody has any questions, they want to reach out, uh, feel free to reach out to me or Amir. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was time to be frank. Thanks for tuning in, guys.